everybody, and welcome to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller, and thankfully I'm here, and along with me is my co-host, Mr. Matt Disher. How are you doing today, sir? I am apparently doing better than you are, Tim. My power didn't go out. That's why yeah. we're 15 minutes late. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to push back an hour. We had some overlaps on some schedules, so we pushed back to 2 p.m. I think it was 1.57, and pff, black. Everything went out. Um, as I was going in the house to see if the rest of the house was out of power, uh, the wife let me know that the neighbors are also out of power. So it was a wide-ranging thing. I'm assuming some squirrel is fried in the substation somewhere locally. So RIP. At least, at least they got it turned back on. Yeah, it flipped back over pretty quick. The power was on, but then you have to reset the router. And yeah, it's it's just a whole thing. And I'll be honest, I had this written down in my notes about how IT, uh, tech itself, it's it's passing me by. I got home today. My um, my three kids and my niece and nephew, they all do the homeschooling thing here uh, virtually. Somebody needed something printed. My wife couldn't figure it out. Literally, uh, you know, I feel like 10 years ago, snapping my fingers, I would have had it done. I was messing around for probably 15 minutes trying to get this bag on paper to print. And I'm thinking, I'm getting too old. This text just flying right by me. I'll be honest with you there. Um, but we have a fantastic guest. Uh, Mr. Brian Link is joining us today on the podcast. So how are you, Brian? Doing well, man. Doing a little bit better than you. I did not have any type of technical difficulties, yeah. but I do feel your pain there with tech, man. So I feel yeah. like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was like, why can't older people figure this out? And now I'm like, why can't I figure this out? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, literally, I, I mean, I jumped on um, and was on for maybe a minute, two minutes, and we were all kind of discussing little technical difficulties we were having. Matt was having trouble having us hear him. Brian was having trouble hearing us. Uh, I, was and I, was, moving my, I was moving yeah. my microphone around. Yeah. And I was literally getting ready to say the past three weeks when we've logged on, I've had the incorrect speakers chosen and I'll come in and Matt will say hi to me and it screams through the speaker I have. Over, and I'm, you know, we're just, it, it's getting rough. It's getting rough at old age. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, so um, as we like to do uh, every week, we, we bring up some news off of military.com. Uh, I've got a couple articles pulled up here. Now, we spoke about Lieutenant Colonel uh, Stu Scheller just a few weeks ago. Uh, Matt, you said he went to your high school. Is that right? Yeah, we were a year apart. So he uh, he graduated a year after I did. We There were not many people that, that graduated from my high school that went into the Marine Corps. So the, the three or four of us that were in that age range around each other in graduating classes kind of know each other or know of each other. But I think he arguably stayed in the military the longest. Yeah. Um, now, if you don't know uh, of any of this story or, or some of the background, but Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller was making uh, social media posts demanding accountability for the failures in Afghanistan and things of that nature. He uh, did put forth a resignation uh, from his uh, Marine Corps career. Uh, now, the Marine Corps, as I understand it, doesn't have to accept this. They don't have to accept your resignation. So. Um, over these past few weeks, he has maintained his position in the Marine Corps and continued to post things on social media, despite the fact that he was given a gag order. So I want to say it was Thursday, maybe Friday of last week, uh, the news broke that Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller was being put into the brig, the military prison system. Mm -hmm. um, since that has happened, there have been multiple lawmakers. I want to say it was... Uh, over 30 lawmakers wrote a letter to the Marine Corps Commandant asking for Scheller's release. The letter argued that the Briggs sentence appears to simply be messaging 
retribution and convenience. Um, so this article here does talk about um, his defense, thinks he's got a, a good chance to walk away with possibly still an honorably uh, an honorable discharge here. Um, but the gentleman, and, we, and when we spoke about this a few weeks ago, we said this gentleman, you don't get to be a lieutenant colonel in, in the Marine Corps by being a dummy. He knew what he was doing. He knew what this could possibly cost him. He knew that this was a possible outcome as well. Um, but I think that in his heart, he was doing the right thing by standing up and saying, hey, there were some major failures here that we need to make sure we're going to be held accountable for. So going forward, this cert, you know, these, these certain things don't happen again. So uh, this yeah, is I'm, I'm fighting with them here. This is the, the we talked about that. We've talked about this for a handful of episodes on here that there, there's two ways to look at this. And I, I, I've been following the threads and I'm, I'm friends with his mom on Facebook. Uh, they live, you know, two exits down the highway or he grew up two exits down the highway from where I live now. And she's been very active in in having this conversation with lawmakers. And she's her and and, uh, and Stu's father have been on and off the media, on and off the news, or whichever news news stations would pick up the story. This is the thing: there are certain news stories or, or news stations that are not picking it up. I don't know if that's for partisan reasons or not. It, you know, it, when I look at this, it's not a partisan issue. It's a it's a military leadership issue. I I I, I can't comment on whether it's a failure issue or if it's an accountability issue. I guess it is an accountability issue. But at any rate, I've seen two sides of this. One, the people who support Stu in his ability to, or his, I don't want to call it a right, because in the military, you kind of give up some of those constitutional rights. You're not allowed to go out and do whatever you want to do. And he knew that, by the way, as you mentioned, Tim, he knew that there would be repercussions for his actions, because that's how the armed forces treats it. On the second note, when we talk, when we raise our children, you know, when we're raising our, 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 my son, I tell him to be honest. I tell him to speak the truth, even if he's trembling. I tell him to stick up for the people who need to stick up for, need to be stuck up for, to protect the innocent, to protect the weak, uh, to fight for things that he believes in. And, and that's, those are probably values that you teach everybody. Everybody's children are taught that, or at least I hope that we're teaching our children that. But more than that, in the armed forces, especially with officers, they are taught to to do the right thing, to look at this, you know, their service as constitutional, to protect the Constitution of the United States and to speak up when things are unlawful, et cetera, et cetera. Did he did he take the the illegal path in in voicing those opinions? Absolutely. And he knew he did and he knew he was breaking the rules. However, let's go back in history and. Let's look at, of course, every conversation when we're talking about the military. Every conversation goes back to like Nazi Germany. There were there were there were multiple attempts on Hitler's life uh, by his own officers, and and not that this is a, an an extreme situation like that. But the purpose of that lesson is that people didn't like what was happening in that administration back then, and they tried to push back and they were silenced. And that is, I think, the larger argument here. Did he go about it the right way? Is he right? Time will tell. History will tell. But I do think that at any rate, we have to make sure that we are holding leadership accountable. The United States is 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 run by the people. This is not a it's not an organization that was put together where it's a bunch of shareholders and everybody else has to be quiet. So military officer or civilian, the, the thing is that had he gone through the appropriate channels with this grievance, he would have been silenced and probably discharged from the military. And, and those of us who have served, we know that. 
So there, there's not a right or wrong answer. There's a morally right or wrong question and answer here, but it's not a right or wrong answer. It's not a this side or that side type of thing. It's just sort of let's let this play out and let's hear what happens. Yep. Yeah, you know, I remember uh, when I first saw that video and I knew exactly what could have happened to him whenever I saw that video. And I got thinking, I was like, wow, he knows exactly what he's doing. And there's no doubt about it, you know. <laughs> And so, like, when I go down this road and talk about this on this type of forum, I got to be careful because I still have a status. Mm-hmm. But I do understand what he was saying. I understand where he was coming from on it. Um, and I understand also how putting him in the brig, how that doesn't look necessarily the best on the military, even right. though it, they're well within their right to do so. The the I guess I want to say the audience of public opinion out there, whenever they see what happens then it gives a black eye to the Marine Corps, unfortunately. And I, they're fully within the right to do whatever it is they're, they're doing with them. So I just think it presents a, an interesting situation. I think this is the first time we really had a situation like this to where somebody's trying to speak up, speak out, utilizing social media in this avenue that he has and right. doing it in the way that which he has done it. And the military then utilizing whatever is within their full rights to be able to do and having right. a backlash from the public. So and, and and frankly, the fact that he has has been punished and thrown in the brig is probably giving this more. Had they just said, "Hey, yeah, let's have a conversation about it," the whole thing would have been brushed under the rug. The media yeah. never would have picked it up. It's almost like the the reaction to it has now presented a larger problem than perhaps what it was in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. and I want to I want to also note though, as we talk about these situations and these incidents, <clears throat> it is not lost on me that there. The reason why Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller went onto social media to to kind of shake his fist, I'm sure it's been a number of things that he's seen over the years. He spent 17 years in the Marine Corps, but it's also because 13 people lost their lives, mm-hmm. perhaps unnecessarily. They weren't fighting in combat; they were they were guarding a gate, and and it was during an apparently botched evacuation of Afghanistan. Again, this is not. I've just I've seen all the conversations on social media about this. It's not meant to be partisan. The leadership didn't didn't stand in the right place perhaps. And, and if they did, and this was the, there were multiple conversations about this for months and months, fine, let that come out, but they are doing an investigation on it now too, not on his comments, but on the withdrawal in the the evacuation of Afghanistan. And so that presents a different issue when you, when you try to, when you spend effort to try to silence the people that may be raising the questions, you're drawing more attention to the problem. You're drawing more attention. You're getting more people involved. And now everybody wants to know what's going on here. Yeah. That thing you wanted to keep everybody's eyes and ears off of has now become their right. main focus. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So. It's, it's, uh, they're not hiding in plain sight, I guess is probably, it's, that's probably the best way to, to say it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so our next article here, uh, comes, it's, it's little tips from Warren Buffett. So if you didn't know, Warren Buffett is the fifth, richest uh person in the united states so warren buffett now owns berkshire hathaway uh, you know one of the one of the biggest real estate companies in the world but he got his start by selling bubblegum golf balls magazines back in the day to just anybody who would buy them he actually filed his first set of taxes at the age of 14 uh, along with deductions so mr buffett at the age of 21 joined the national guard in nebraska And he has four things, four life lessons that he learned from his time while serving. So number one was taking orders. In a 2020 interview with the the Nebraska National Guard, Warren Buffett said, well, I learned to take orders, which is not a bad trait to acquire. 
the story goes that when Mr. Buffett was getting wed to his wife back in 1952, his uh, his local commander gave him a call. Apparently, there's some flooding in the state. Uh, he let him know, hey, I understand you're having your wedding today. I, you know, enjoy your wedding. You got about two hours, and then I'm gonna need you to come on in. Um, in in your tuxedo. Yeah, get yeah, in here. In we your, need you to fill sandbags. In your tuxedo and your shiny shoes. Come on in, and uh, we're gonna put you right to work. Uh, about 30 minutes later, the general called in and told him, hey, we understand. Have a good time at your wedding. Don't bother coming on in. So that worked out. But yeah, he said he was all set. He was going to uh, spend the next two hours enjoying his wedding and dancing with his wife and then rush off to hopefully save some people from from some flooding. But that is a commitment to take water. You know, that's awesome because he was Corporal Buffett. He, he's a lowly yeah. E4, yeah. right? And and the general yeah. called him and told him to stay at his wedding. That's a yeah. story that belongs. If you've ever heard the, the General Mattis Christmas story where he relieved a young officer from mm-hmm. duty on Christmas morning. Yeah. And, and then somebody asked who the duty officer was that one day. And they're like, it's general Mattis. And the commandant of the Marine Corps or somebody was calling like, no, it's not general Mattis. It has to be some Lieutenant. And it's like, they're like, no, sir, it's general Mattis. He has duty today. It's a story. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. a real thing that actually happened. I'd like to know who this general was that oh, I was general Wood who called Corporal Buffett and said, enjoy your vacation, son. We'll handle it from here. <laughs> Yeah, we got those sandbags. Don't worry. About it. Well, since we're kind of on the topic, you know, it wasn't the Commandant necessarily calling, but Brian, you have a story where you were on duty once and you got a pretty high level phone call that you probably just chalked up to somebody playing a prank. Right. So, you know, during my time, I spent a lot of time in recruiting command. And at this point, I happened to be at the MEPS, working at the MEPS as one of the guidance counselors in the National Guard liaison in Kansas City. And so we had a really busy day, um, one of those days where you just needed everything to happen, right? And I get this phone call, and the guy says on the end, hey, this is Lieutenant Colonel Ross, East Wing of the White House, um, trying to coordinate Michelle Obama coming to Kansas City. And I just cut him off. I was like, hey, listen, man, I ain't got time for jokes today. Um, you know, we, we're busy. What do you need help with? Let me get you on, you know, with whatever you need help with. And he's like, no, 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 this is Lieutenant Colonel Ross. I'm like, hey, apparently you didn't hear me the first time, Joe. Like, I, I don't have time for your joke. So tell me what you need or I'm going to hang up on you. He's like, well, give me your email address and I'll email you. So I gave him my email address thinking, who's this new guy that doesn't have my email address? You know, I'm the MEPS GC. Like this is stuff that you should be in from his NCUIC. I hang up the phone. Literally not within two seconds. Here comes the email. Lieutenant Colonel Rossi swing in the white house. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like I just really stuck my foot in my mouth on this one. So I picked the phone back up. I call his number. I was like, listen, sir. I was like, I want to apologize. Can we start back over? Because whenever you said White House, I stopped listening to you. Uh, what do you What do you need? And so he was the coolest guy about it. So he told me, he's like, listen, he's like, dude, he's like, try to buy a house when you work here. Even the bank don't believe you. He's like, I really thought this was going to be the coolest job when I took it. He's like, every time I call somebody, tell him where I'm calling from, nobody believes me. He's like, it's the worst job ever. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I do the same thing. I hang up in the White House all the time whenever they call me. Right. Uh, this, 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 th- while we're on the topic, this reminds me of when the story goes, Dakota Meyer, the Marine that won the Medal of Honor mm-hmm. for a, a major gun battle in Afghanistan a number of years ago. I guess he was at work and the president or the White House called him at work. And he basically was like, I'll have to call you back because I'm in the middle of working on a vehicle or something like that. He was working on like a tractor or a bulldozer or something <laughs> and, and was just kind of like, 
he's, he's in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky. Like I, uh, I don't care. I'll call you back later on <laughs> wow. and basically brush them off. He was receiving the medal of honor and they were calling him to tell him that. And he just kind of like, was like, I yeah. gotta get the tracks back on my dozer. <laughs> right. I'm, 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 I'm in the middle of something right now. I'm, I'm emptying the dishwasher. Can you guys call feed, me back in a half an hour? Feeding the dogs. Yeah. Right. Right. I ain't got time oh. for this. Yeah. But, but, but think about all the phone calls you get on a daily basis. If you yeah. answered all the spam calls and somebody was like, it's the White House, I'd be like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's the White House. You go, really? Your car's extended warranties, but dang it, you got yes. me. Ah. <laughs> and it's, it is, it's, oh. it's, Right. It's the president yeah. calling. It's their voice. Yeah. Tim, you did a really good Donald Trump before. Uh, oh, you got to totally do that again, dude. Yeah. Where, where Donald, Donald will go in and try to sell you on the extended warranty. Listen, I know you cause extended warranty is never good. I have something that's fantastic. Now, uh, <laughs> now I was, we, when Brian told us he, he hung up on the White House, I was asking what administration it was from because, and, and like he said, it was Michelle Obama trying to coordinate her trip yeah. to Kansas City. So it was during the Obama administration, but Matt immediately brought up the fact that if it was Trump, he'd have sat there and been like, what do you mean he hung up? And then you know, <laughs> we'll call him back. And Brown went, hello, listen, listen here, you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. I know everybody, everybody thinks, everybody thinks you did a terrible job. Yeah. Everybody thinks it. Yeah. You're fired. Yeah. I you said don't. you're terrible. Everybody agrees. You're Every just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably ugly. You're fired. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'll, that's when, one of these days when we have Donald Trump on the show, we'll ask yeah. him how he would have handled that situation. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a race between between the Joe Rogan. She get that set up for next us. week, there, man. Well, but, yeah, well I, I I could. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what Tim was saying. We're we're constantly competing. We're not com competing. What, what were you saying, Tim? Sorry, I was saying it's it's kind of between us and the Joe Rogan podcast. Trump's yeah, weighing his options. You know, obviously. I mean, Joe called us the other week and was like, hey. Uh, if you guys are interested, Elon's expressed interest. Elon, like Elon, and he's like Elon Musk. I'm like, what? Never what's heard her name her? again? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> that that, that but, name doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, right. I don't know who this Elon girl is. I don't. I don't right. know. Yeah, he starts right. electric cars or something. I don't know what he's. That that reminds me. There was a there was a. I know we're way off topic now, yeah. and, and we only got through number one on Warren Buffett's list. Yeah, but yeah. but that reminds me of a few years ago when. Elon Musk and his girlfriend or his wife or fiance, whatever they are, her name is Grimes, uh, had a baby. And Elon said, like, they named the child some outrageous name. And, and Elon said something to the media like, well, she's the one that's really good with names. And I'm like, bro, she calls herself Grimes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forget what the child's name was. I don't I remember, do remember seeing it. And it was I mean, it, it, it was something outrageous. Yeah, I don't remember either. But it uh, was really long, is all I remember. And I was like, "Oh wow, I can't even say that." Wow. Yeah, okay. I was like, I'm "Not trying that one." So. You know, funny thing about um, Warren Buffett's number one on there about taking orders. So, like the day I got married, the next day I had to leave and go to training for three weeks. And so, the the funny story about that is I left at like four a.m. to make it to the training site on time to be there so I could actually do the training we needed to do. And I had to call back to my wife at noon because I realized I left my badge in my daggone uh, uniform. Or not uniform, but my uh, tuxedo. <clears throat> and so at the time, I was a state trooper. And so I called her up and it's like, hey, did you remember to take my badge out of my, my pocket? She's like, why did you have your badge in your pocket? And I was like, well, because I had my gun on me. Why did you have your gun on you? And I was like, well, because it was cool getting get married with my gun on me. And I, to do that, I needed my badge. <laughs> <laughs> very, very uh... So she had to go back 
to the tuxedo shop and get my badge back. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, I just returned to tux. It's probably got like a police badge in it. Yes. And they're like, yeah. they're like, sir, why is there a badge in the pocket? And you're like, because yeah. I have my gun on me. Yes, yeah. exactly. they're, like, they're like, everybody's panicking. You, like some woman <laughs> in the background screams and runs out. <laughs> He's got a gun. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's, yeah. Let's number get two. To, let's get back <laughs> on the tracks here. Yeah. Number two from Warren Buffett's list of life lessons he learned while serving in the military. Number two is having fun. Uh, so now, famously, Buffett is a very modest man. He lives well, well, well within his means. He, he doesn't own private islands. You know, his money goes towards his investments and building, uh, you know, this incredible nest egg he's built for himself. Um, but he's saying that having fun comes along with anytime you make good, long friendships, that's important in life. So. Obviously, anybody that's ever uh, been in the service, be it just through boot camp, you meet people in in your basic training that you're going to have lifelong relationships with. Once you're in the fleet or, uh, you know, out there in the Air Force or in the Army, you are serving with people, you're living with people, you're eating with people, you're training with these same people and you make these incredible bonds. Uh, so he said there is something about the spirit of a company. I mean, people that you did things with slept in the same barracks and everything. That is actually, it really has a good effect on you. So, yeah, Warren Buffett has made lifelong friends uh, while serving in the Army. Uh, personally, I think um, I, I'd kind of be upset with myself. Like, hey, man, here's this guy who's going to go on to be a billionaire. I should have just kind of followed him around. And, Where are you putting your money at? You know, something like that. I would love to know. I would love to just, I would love to spend an hour with with Warren Buffett and mm -hmm. just understand I read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad by the way it's not his book but I read that book a few years back and if you've never read that book and you want to know about money and, and you want your mindset changed on how cash works mm -hmm. read that book but I read that book and I realized man I would love to talk to somebody who's who's money smart because I learned so much from reading that quick book Warren Buffett's one of those people but at any rate what we're talking about here having fun and the people you meet and 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 I think that the 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 longer effect of that is as a leader, you have to be, he's an influential person. Mm -hmm. He didn't get nice. there by not being a leader, by not being in a, like an attractive personality. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's people leadership. One Oh one is people want to have to follow you. And you get that from making people feel important and being able to develop teams and getting people. You can ask people what the definition of management is. And people will be like, well, it's getting people to do things and, you know, okay. But it's it's ultimately like influencing people's habits to work toward a common goal. I know there's a lot of leadership definitions, but you have to be you have to be to that point. You have to be able to like make friends and have good experiences, have a little bit of fun, and take those things with you and have and and, and have that really good effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we could all look back on our career and find some areas where we had a lot of fun doing things with people. Yeah. So, and those people are still talking to you today. So, right. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, I mean, and, Tam, Tam and I are a product of that. We, yeah. we, we served, we lived in the barracks during uh, a hurricane. What do we call them? A typhoon. A typhoon. typhoon over there, yeah. Power goes out. You know, people are jumping off the third deck stairwell with ponchos poncho and trying to fly. Yeah. And <laughs> there are shenanigans in the barracks hallway. Oh, yeah. I mean, you name it. It's right. there was a guy in our barracks that wore a diaper and beat up another guy. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's just, 
nonsense. But you don't forget that those kinds of things, and you take them away. And then when you meet each other in a room twenty years later, it's <laughs> like you'd never left off. Yeah, you're like, hey, let's get that floor buffer out and see who can ride it. <laughs> so you can spin the fastest before yeah, you fall off. Like, what the? You know, I was an MP up at uh, Fort Lewis, um, up there in uh, Washington, and we used to actually, whenever somebody would go to the convenience store as an MP, all the MP cars had the same key. So we'd run up, unlock their car, and move it like a block or two down the street, and then run off and leave. <laughs> and we'd sit somewhere, so when we'd watch them come out, they'd be like, and you know they're not calling anybody to say my car got moved yeah. or I lost my car. Yeah. So they're, they're totally like walking around aimlessly looking for their car. Until they find it. Oh, nice. Well, and, and, and you're caught in that space where you're like, is this a prank or did I really screw up? And, right. and, and your adrenaline starts like you feel your adrenaline adrenaline in your gut. You're kind of like, oh, no, here it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I hate that feeling. I'm going to have to call into the captain and be like, sir, I, I lost the patrol car. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was right here. I swear, <laughs> I swear you, it right we here. locked it and everything. I still have the key. Yeah. Well, and, and those are the types of such. Even today in my career, when somebody's like, "Hey, we need to talk," I automatically have that as a you know in E3. You go to that worst case scenario. Possibly. I do. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what no. could it possibly be? Oh God, I'm getting court martialed. What did I do? <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's because I jumped off the third deck with my with yeah. my poncho on and I didn't fly, <laughs> and they're mad at me. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, and, and and let's be honest, you other than Warren Buffett, who started to amass his his wealth while still serving, most <laughs> of us aren't becoming wealthy while serving in the military. So you learn to have fun at a very cheap rate. You right. Know? You do, right? You get very inventive. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of uh adventurous minds in the service, right. I'll tell you that. There's a reason why there's jokes about, you know, the E3 with 26% interest on their, uh, you know, 20-year-old Camaro. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. When I showed up to boot camp and, and got out of boot camp, I had no idea how much money I was being paid in the military. It never, I never asked that question. I, mm -hmm. I looked at my bank account and I had like $1,500 in there. I'm like, I don't, okay, this is the most money I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, you know, you mentioned that Warren Buffett's the fifth richest. Uh, you know, Warren and I, yeah, we spend, you know, we're on the same list along with Joe Rogan. Uh, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm right there up on that list. I don't know if you guys knew yeah. this about me, but I am a, I'm a multi-thousandaire. Yeah. Nice. There you um, go. I, there I you have go. some investments and I like the finer things. Like, uh, I make coffee at my house and it's <laughs> Colombian and, uh, yeah. and uh, I have tinted windows on my car. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. See, I, I, I will say, uh, you know, Mr. Warren Buffett, the stocks, the, the, you know, the things like that. The stock market's not doing very hot today. So if you're an investor, hopefully your stocks are all right. So. Well, at, at, see, at, at, at my level, I pay other people to yeah. like, do, <laughs> deal with this and make sure I don't lose money. I'm like, here's $200. Let's buy some tech stock. Yeah. Yeah. Here's $200. <laughs> I want all the shares of Apple. They're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Sir, that's not even one share of Apple. Yeah, like, <laughs> nope. I'll give you an apple. <laughs> right. We have this startup Here. company, uh, Pear. We're not sure yeah. how it's going to go. So yeah. we're going to make computers <laughs> that don't work. Yeah. Right? Oh, Apple. Yeah. Apple shares are one hundred and forty-one dollars. So two hundred dollars, I could buy one share. Um, at least yeah, almost one share. almost one and a quarter. Yeah. Right. I will say my Paylocity stock's done very well. So it's like at two seventy-six right now. So Ooh. even though it came down from two ninety-nine, but I I own Apple stock. I own Google stock. And one of my best performing stocks because of the longevity has been CentOS. I used to work there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I bought it really low a long time ago. And it just, I mean, talk about a company that can consistently always goes up. Yes. Even with market corrections, it still ends up up. So 
uh, I'm not giving yeah. I'm not giving anybody advice, but yeah. it's a yeah. Good this stock. is not financial advice in any no, way. No, 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 no. But CentOS does really push for salespeople, so I can see it always continually right. trickle up. I, so. I will I will say that I do know that Warren Buffett is is one of these where he has a core group of assets that he likes to invest in, and he reinvests, reinvests, reinvests. Mm -hmm. like he doesn't. I'm sure he's got a pretty decent uh, portfolio. It's spread out pretty well, but um, you know the majority of his money goes into a handful of places that right. he likes to put his money. So, and and when you own property, he's in real estate. That's one of the mm -hmm. biggest pieces. Uh, and, and there's some ups and downs in real estate, but they're not making any more property or any more yeah. real estate. So, yeah. uh, there's always going to be a market. I realize people have left offices for the last year and a half. But they're going to come back, and yeah. there's not more property to develop. You're always mm -hmm. going to need. I read somewhere somewhere the other day that there, uh, the in America, we are five million new house constructions behind right now. Yeah, five yeah. million yeah, are, new home constructions. Yeah, we are years behind the, uh, the. There's not any sort of deadline, but where they'd like to be. Right. Absolutely. You know, that's kind of interesting as you brought up the housing market stuff, just for the fact that you know the wife and I actually looked at building a new house here recently, and just selling ours and uh, leaving. Uh, being on a gravel road and stuff and moving closer to where all the kids mm -hmm. stuff is at and back into town. And it's going to be like a year down the yeah. road before this thing can get built. And so mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't know if it's really worth it at that point, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. if it's six months, you know, I can, I can hang out for six months at, you know, and, and go through the building process, but a whole year of the building process, I'm like, I don't know. So. And, and then you're like, should we just buy an already built house? And then like, they're right. showing you tents uh, under, underneath a bridge for $600,000 <laughs> and there's already 15 offers on it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. This one's Absolutely. a Coleman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, you're just minutes away from the highway. Yes. Prefab. Right. Jeez. Uh, so, so back to the article again. Number three is learning from others' experiences. We keep derailing hardcore yes. on today's episode. I will say this: anybody that has been in the service knows that you are going to meet individuals from all walks of life. You are going to meet uh, individuals from some of the wealthiest families you'll ever know, and some of the worst conditions, poorest families this country has to offer, and everybody in between. They're going to be from absolutely every state. From San Diego all the way up to Portland, Maine, it, it, it's crazy the uh, the amount of people you meet. And Warren said one of the biggest things for him during his military service was learning from everybody else's experiences and seeing what works, what mm -hmm. doesn't. And uh, you know, he, he took those things, put them in his pocket, and moved on with his life, and and used those experiences as lessons for himself. That is absolutely some of the best advice. I give that to my son is, yeah. is if you see somebody else making the mistake, don't make the same mistake. And, and the worst mistake we make is the one we don't learn from. Those are the things yes. that I say. All, I say those to my team members, too. If, if we've already screwed it up once, let's not screw it up twice. But I mean, that's just sage advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it absolutely is. And then number four is the military is a good life experience. I 100%, oh, yeah. I 100% agree with this. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I would be for, you know, a like a forced service. Like you turn 18, no. you have to do two years. I'm not necessarily for that. Uh, but I think that the more young people that join the military and, and get in there and just get those experiences under their belt, it is such fantastic life experience. Just, you know, from number three, you're meeting people that you know, from walks of life that you probably never would have met mm -hmm. before. You know, if you come from one of those high class families, you're probably most times never going to meet somebody that comes from a very low income family that grew up in a, a huge metropolitan area. 
and vice versa. That that kid from Kansas is never going to meet that guy from the Bronx, and the guy from Florida is never going to meet the kid from Seattle. Right. And you just get to learn about each other. You learn about the country. You see things. You travel, and it's right. and and for most of us that were in the military, it was our first time really away, and we mm -hmm. got to for the first time in our lives stand on our two feet and say, "All right, I'll figure this out." Yep. You know, they're, it's funny you bring that up. Yeah. Uh, just like I, I can tell you, I had friends that were from actually the Bronx, like you just mentioned, mm -hmm. Puerto Rico, um, all the way to Hawaii, you know, Japanese American and just figuring out what life was like for all of them. And then I'm this kid from the Midwest, grew up in a small town of like a thousand people. I mean, all completely different experiences. And we all come together. I think that's one of the things that you learn in the military is just how to work with people that aren't like you. Mm -hmm. And how to find those common grounds to be able to have somewhere in some area you can connect on. There, there are stats and real data that say that companies and businesses and teams that are more diverse operate or perform better than non-diverse companies and, and teams and businesses. I think the same thing applies for the individual. This is a, a sales pitch for hiring military people, really. And that is that we, we have diverse experiences. Some of my best friends in the military uh, did not speak the same first language that I spoke. <laughs> Uh, some of them, you know, I was a middle class kid from a community that had maybe 2% diversity in my high school graduating class. Mm -hmm. uh, and then suddenly I show up to boot camp and then deployments thereafter and other units and elements thereafter that were 40 or 45 or 50% diverse. Uh, I was picking up other language, other languages. I was picking up other cultures, music. I mean, you name it. Mm -hmm. But but now I as an adult, as I'm inside of business and inside of meetings and shaking hands with people, I've had all those experiences. It's not foreign to me. And then I've been around the world and operated and worked with uh, other people who didn't speak English at all, you know, doing military operations or even, geez, ha hailing a cab in Japan <laughs> and trying to tell them where you need to go. <clears throat> but you 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 get this uh, this problem solving sort of mentality from your worldly experiences, not to mention you have these exceptional diverse experiences with other people from other backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on to the next article, 28 years ago, 28 years ago, uh, Operation Gothic Serpent went down Gothic. on the streets of Mogadishu. So this is the operation that led to the book and then to the movie Black Hawk Down. So wow. 28 years after the incident, 18 veterans who fought in this battle in Mogadishu, Somalia, are being awarded uh, are, are being awarded uh, silver stars. Yep. They're going to be awarded silver stars with valor. 28 years after the battle, uh, one of the veterans that was there that day was quoted as saying, "I'd been to combat a couple times. This individual's been in Iraq, Afghanistan, Panama." as well as Somalia. I've seen combat a couple times and a lot of times after Somalia, but I've never seen the heroism. I've never seen the fighting like we saw among the guys on the streets of Mogadishu. Uh, you know, this was an absolutely hard fought battle. These individuals were kind of left out there on their own. They were, you know, they were fighting for each other and fighting to, to try to bring everybody home alive and safe. Uh, we all know that didn't happen, but yeah, 28 years for these individuals to get that silver star. It is the third highest award that the United States has in the military. So, right. I know. Yeah, I know. I know that there's a lot more to that story than what we saw <coughs> in the movies. But you know, the, the the way that the movie portrays it is, 
they were supposed to be going, there was a humanitarian crisis going on. There were warring factions in the streets and the United States historically has been involved in little conflicts like this all over the place. The reason why this one's so significant is because they thought that they would go in and collect up the, um, the, the warlord and his team. So one of the warring factions, they were going to go kidnap, essentially kidnap or capture this dude and, and his team and bring them back. So they went into the heart of the city and I don't think they realized that the whole population of the city didn't necessarily want them in the heart of the yeah. city. And so you had what probably was hundreds or thousands of armed militia essentially just taking to the streets to fight the Americans that were uh, far outnumbered. And, and they went in for like a two hour mm -hmm. operation and ended up getting <clears throat> stuck there for days. So they, they were out of water. They were out of food. You had people injured. They couldn't get vehicles in and out to, to rescue them and pull them out and extract them, et cetera. Yeah. The, the U.S. force total, not not just the individuals that were on the Blackhawks that got shut down, but you know their support staff was around 200 individuals uh, that were mm -hmm. operators in in the area, uh, and they estimate around 10 to 12,000 well-armed Somali fighters. So mm -hmm. that is, uh, you know, you were you were talking way, way, way outnumbered. Well, then, no. weren't there only like 18 or 19 of them on the ground? There was 18 off? of them in the ground. Yeah. On the ground, yeah. So it was, I mean, think about that. That's, yeah. that's, that's a squad reinforced yeah. up against thousands of people yeah. in, in a, in, in a city, unfamiliar city. And everybody in that city is armed and shooting at you. It went from an operation to quickly a survival. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, these individuals yeah. went from, Hey, this is our mission. This is what we're here to do. And then very, very quickly, we need to do every possible thing we can to keep each other alive and get out of here safe. Do you guys remember whenever they actually went into Somalia and uh, they, they stormed the beach there? All the news media was sitting there waiting for them and video them as they came on. I don't know if you guys remember that. I remember that as a kid. No, no. And I was, I don't know, I was probably like 13 at the time, I think, something like that. I remember thinking, I was like, wow, I was like, isn't that like dangerous? Like having like all the news cameras and lights and stuff there as they're like coming on the beach? Yeah. I remember thinking that as a 13 year old kid, but you know, I, I don't know why that, that the image watching that on the news stuck in my mind, watching them actually come onto the beach right. from their boats. And so, and then like everything else that transpired and happened afterwards. So it just, it seems like it was just kind of an interesting um, operation. It so, was from a lot it of different was. aspects. Yeah. And it, I think it changed probably how we elect to, to jump into those types of missions. I guess they probably called yeah. it a humanitarian mission at first. I think they did. But, but you know, after Vietnam, the, the, the media, the media has been involved in everything. So like, yeah, you, you, you got to watch the invasion, the, 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 the battle in desert storm on camera. You got to watch the shock and awe on camera. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember that very distinctly. I was in Japan and, we had a fire drill that night. The fire alarms went off in the building in our barracks building at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know what time that was Iraq time, but we went outside building wasn't on fire. Came back in. I'm like, I got to wake up for PT in like an hour or two anyway. So I'm just going to watch TV, turned on the TV and I'm, I'm watching shock and awe in Baghdad. I'm just watching missiles hit, but it was so funny to me that like you have all these reporters standing a half a mile that way while this city is literally under siege. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just it, that's the way it is now. Everybody wants to see it on camera. Everybody wants to look at the helmet cams. I, mean, I, I can't imagine what the next major conflict will be fought will look like. Like you'll be able to watch it like a video game. Yeah. Well, uh, if you've ever seen Full Metal Jacket, uh, you know one of the main characters is a military reporter. Yeah. And so 
Raptor you see Man. in that, yeah, you see in that movie how they're trying to spin certain stories to yeah. keep up the morale of the troops in mm-hmm. country because right. that lack of communication to the outside world is is so vast. Where today, even if you had no access to a computer or anything like that, because of how the media is covering all these events, once you get a letter from home, you know, uh, you know, old Betsy waiting back home for you. Yeah. is telling you, oh my God, it looks so scary. They're doing this, they're doing that. And this is essentially intel from a civilian because yeah. the media is covering it so well. Right. It's uh, it's pretty nuts. But it's it's hard at any rate, though. It's, yeah. it's always been hard for the media to go back and report combat operations because people don't understand that stuff anyway. They don't understand yeah. why, why we're carrying out missions. So it's very easy to be like, well, why are we even involved there? Why are we even doing that? Okay, I mean, fair question. But if you understand... You know, right now, so so Somalia is is a, a great example of there are other humanitarian crises and genocides happening on the continent of Africa in these different countries. And people are like, well, why are we participating there or why aren't we participating there? Or are we the world mm-hmm. police or are we not the world police? And you got to look back on some of these instances. There was an instance in Africa recently. I, this is a couple of years ago where some some uh, special forces guys got into a gunfight on the move. There's a helmet cam from it. You can go look it up. They got into a gunfight and they had like land cruisers they were driving around in and a a, a bunch of them got killed because they were without support. They were carrying out some sort of operation. I don't know what it was, but it's one of those things where, uh, you know, the media goes out there and, and, and sometimes demonizes them for their operations. But mm-hmm. then America is saying, well, why aren't we there stopping genocides? It's kind mm-hmm. of this like tell the right story, tell it the right way. Yeah. Um, you know, Mogadishu was quite simply, it was a humanitarian effort to mm-hmm. stop the warring factions from killing everybody. Yeah. Trying to stop war. Yeah. Um, so our it was our last article, but the next article on our list is the Navy has decided it's going to sell two aircraft carriers to a shipbreaking company. The price of both aircraft carriers was one cent each. So I'm going to put this out there right now. U.S. Navy, if you're looking to sell any more ships, I will buy them for a nickel apiece. You'll make 500 times profit off of what you've done. The USS Kitty Hawk and the USS John F. Kennedy have been sold to International Shipbreaking Limited uh, based in Brownsville, Texas. So what's going to happen is these, these ships are going to be towed into a Texas harbor. They'll be broken down and then sold for scrap. I would uh, like to outbid Tim, uh, and I'm going to offer 15 cents per aircraft oh. carrier. Now, yeah. if I would get my Top hands that. on one of these aircraft carriers... Uh, not only am I going to live on it, I'm going to uh, then start trying to buy jets. I'll buy a jet for a dime, maybe a quarter. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I need some, well, here, need here's some landing crafts. Here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to find jets because they're all sitting on uh, freighters that are sitting out in the Pacific Ocean <laughs> yeah, right true. now doing circles. Yeah. And then you're not going to be able to hire anybody because nobody's going to come to work for you. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you so, what. Now, if you buy that Kitty Hawk for 20 cents, you know, you're probably going to have a little bit of trouble getting the boiler to work. But good news. My cousin used to be a boilermaker on that, and uh, I think he knows how to make that thing work for you. So you've got oh, that yeah. there. So you'll have heat. So you'll you be good to go, man. You bring in That's your friends. Awesome. That's what you do. Exactly. It, it's like the movie Battleship where they had to fight the aliens, and they had to go get on that old <laughs> battleship in Hawaii. And there were a bunch of older guys who had operated the battleship. They're like, I need you to operate the gun. And these guys are like, yeah, let's go do it. <laughs> yeah, you just got to get your friends. They're not going to get paid. Yeah. But. Yeah. Like, you know, listen, we can rent rooms we out there. Now, we're just going to yeah. travel the world. 
but that's, but that's not a bad idea, Tim. You I mean we can rent rooms out, man? Maybe we yeah. make a cruise out of it. You know, yeah, get yeah. guys on there that used to be in the Navy. Like I just want the experience again for yeah. a week. Hey, you so, guys can come cruise, but you also have to work, right? Because yeah, yeah. you know, again, back to that conversation. Uh, people aren't coming to work right now, and and there's a staffing shortage. Brian, I think last time we were talking to you, you were on here. Was this last year? I think that would have been back like in February. Okay, so you you were in a job transition. Tell us where you are now. So I'm with uh, Paylocity now. It's a human capital management company, uh, similar to like ADP or Paychex, Paycom. Those are all our competitors. And so we have a suite of software and human resources uh, information systems. And uh, that's what we do is we we create and sell that software and support companies. A lot of it's mid-sized businesses. And so uh, it's a great company. They've taken great care of me since I've been there. Gosh, I mean, I'm wearing one of their shirts now, and I don't know how much swag they've sent me since I've been there at the company in like eight months, but it seems like every few weeks I get another box in the mail of a coffee mug or a shirt or something like that, and then uh, it's just a great group of people, man. It's, it was a great place to land. It's one of, uh, actually, it was a few weeks ago, Yahoo had them as one of the top 20 places to work in the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a great company, great organization, do a great job taking care of their people. So I can't say enough about it. And I just feel like I got lucky landing there uh, when I was going through the transition. But I think, you know, what I did, though, uh, whenever I did end up having my position eliminated over at my last organization, I just employed what I did whenever I made my transition off of active duty. And that was a little bit of something different than what everybody else, I think, has typically done. But I, I went back to my roots and just created a tracker for myself, tracked every place I interviewed, you know, not only just applied to, but interviewed with when those dates were that I had interviews. That way, every morning I could pull up my tracker and see, hey, this is success that I'm having. This is attraction I'm having. Um, and that way I could also track, you know, was I making it to the first interview, but not past that? If so, what am I doing in that first interview? Or am I not getting interviews, changing something on my resume? And so just using that tracker to be able to figure out, am I making progress through the process? Mm-hmm. And if not, can I reevaluate what I'm doing and then be able to continue to progress forward? And at the end of the day, it took me five weeks to land a new role and start. Um, I sent out about 150 job applications, did about 28 job interviews, and I interviewed with somewhere around 18 different companies. So I had three offers at the end of the day. So, you know, tracking the stats and those numbers and that data, it was huge for keeping me motivated and keeping me in a positive headspace and and not just getting down every day. Right. We we were talking about this before we went live. And and that was that you you probably were in a little bit of a panic mode when you had to make a decision. Oh, yeah. You you, you were finding something new. But but right now in this year is the time to have been in that situation, (laughs) right? Because it is. It is, especially as a talent acquisition professional, now is the time to be that right right now. Uh, so I think uh, although it was a bit of panic mode, and you you and I had multiple conversations about that back then. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you've landed somewhere, and now you're you're actually competitive for other things where you're getting offers, or you had you said you had three offers. I yeah, I did, so, and that was awesome. So, and I think a lot of it's just going back to you know we have that fear moment of you know whether we lost a job or we're transitioning out. And I think one of the things we don't think about doing is going back to doing what the military always tells us to do, track mm-hmm. the data, right? Track the yep. data, you know, backwards plan some, as long as you backwards plan off of where you're trying to target in on being at, and then you track the data moving forward, you can make those adjustments as you need to. And so, and it just, I've stumbled upon that method. 
it's just kind of what I did when I first started coming out of the military because I had spent so many years in recruiting um, that I was just used to tracking data. Right. It was one of those things I was just used to doing, and I just employed it in the, the same process for finding a position, and it yep. just ended up being something that worked really well for me. Yep. So, well, no, along those lines, tracking data, uh, I've always said this that no matter what you're doing, whether you're searching for a job or executing your job, if you track the data and show your success and show your work, that is 90%. Of, of being able to say, I'm successful, of being able to make the case that if you ever have to defend your job or go to another job interview and say, here's what I've done, I think people leave out data. Resumes love to see, uh, or managers love to see on a resume. I say resumes love to see because it's something that belongs on a resume. Resume loves to see dollar amounts and people led yeah. and numbers and you know, crunching mm -hmm. all the stuff. But quite frankly, if you can bring in, uh, my wife has a brag book. She hasn't switched jobs in, in many years, but she has a brag book. And it's like this thick photo album full of all the letters of recommendation she's ever had, uh, awards, stats, everything. So if she ever sits down for a, a, an interview for she's in sales and, and somebody's like, well, how much do we pay you or what are you worth? She could be like, mm -hmm. I've generated hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars and whatever. And here's yeah. all my stats. Because it's not just your word anymore. Now you're like, I've done this and it represents mm -hmm. X amount of dollars and it represents X amount of widgets made, et cetera, et cetera. So keeping stats and keeping records, no matter how you cut it, is is one of the best things you can do in your career. Yeah. I think oh, it yeah. was I think it was Jay Z possibly that said it that men why men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. So yeah, if you can get your hands <laughs> on the numbers I think I, I might be misquoting. I I don't. I think it was no. Just, I mean that's was, if, it, you know effort. some somebody one of his friends also said if it don't make dollars it don't make it don't sense. make sense. Yeah. And <laughs> this is uh, it's absolute it's sage advice from the likes of Warren Buffett and Jay Z is also an exceptionally wealthy yeah. person. Yes, he's, yeah, he's now in that uh, billionaire club himself, it, I believe. And and I've I've always heard he's he's one of the hardest working people or was one of the hardest working people in the industry. So uh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if 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 you listen to his music or whatever, yeah. he's right. I will. I will yeah. say this. I will say this about uh, uh, Jay Z. Um, once he got to a certain age or whatever, and he, it, you know, maybe it was less about the music. I know that he started to make money off of investments. He was buying mm -hmm. art, uh, buying real estate, things of that nature. And there were um, younger people that were like, you know, why am I going to listen to this guy? And and he's he he had a song where he's talking about he bought a he bought a painting or whatever and two years later it's almost double the value and he yeah. says I can't wait to give this to my kids and I was like that's a, a fantastic lesson because you're teaching them how to build wealth right mm -hmm. you know it, it's well, it's something that's, you're not taught in school that's a lesson that I learned from reading Rich Dad Poor Dad yeah. it's it's not a lesson that I didn't already know but you, you know I've talked about this in my family growing up we never really talked about money and compound interest and assets and liabilities and things like that and you know this is really a conversation for us to have with Tim Kester on the line but but uh, and, and for those who don't know who Tim is Tim's been on us with us a couple of times and he's a he's a financial guy but it, it's absolutely true you you if I learned one thing if I took away one thing from that book Rich Dad Poor Dad it is that you you take your income and you use that to invest in other things. And then you buy your toys and your cars and your vacation houses with whatever money you've made from your other income exactly. sources. Yeah. You don't take your primary income and and spend it. So, you know, if you're a one income type if you have one income stream, then fine. You, you're that's how you spend that's how you go buy your car and you buy your boat and do whatever. And if you make lo lots of money, then okay, fine. 
you know, spend it on whatever. But you have to have investments. And this is yeah. where they say a lot of people our age in our age group or people younger than us are not being taught about finance because they're mm -hmm. in high school. They're not teaching them this in college, yeah. maybe if they pursue it. But the fact is that you don't have to make a lot of money to end up wealthy on the back end. You don't have to make a lot of money in salary to end up with a, a several million dollar retirement fund. You just have to be smart with your money. And there are assets and liabilities. An asset is something that gains value, property, real estate, mm -hmm. art, right? Mm -hmm. Depending yeah. on what it is. A liability is a car, a boat, uh, a, a telephone. People who are like, oh, yeah. the new phone's coming out. I'm going to go buy it for $1,200. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy the no. one that's two generations old now and right. Been, it's yeah, it's yeah. not worth it. It's not doing anything. It's not. Doing what are they on now? That, like the thirteen? Yeah. Yeah. I, don't I, I, I thought like I saw somebody the other day walking around with something that still looked like the iPhone five. So right. I was like, oh hey, probably because that thing's still working for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a smart person right there. I have I have a I have a generation of iPhone here that is what feels like a hundred years old. It's still the little tiny one. It fits in my hand. It's several years old. <laughs> And, and and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm I'm I invest in in Apple because I know people are going to buy the stuff. But yeah, frankly, for me, I'm making money. And this is the other lesson that I learned. Uh, make money off of other people paying for the things. Don't make money off of you paying for the things. So mm -hmm. in, in the idea of uh, owning a rental property, for example, somebody else is paying your mortgage. Mm -hmm. And then when you sell it in 10 or 15 or 20 years. Uh, it's you sell it for a million dollars or whatever you sell it for. That's a million dollars that you essentially didn't pay for. Yeah. And, and and then to Warren Buffett's thing, to his credit, you reinvest your profits and you don't have to pay taxes on them. You reinvest, reinvest. So I sell my million dollar home and go buy a $2 million home that somebody else is renting out now or some other entity is leasing space on. They're paying my $2 million mortgage. And then in five more years, I sell that for $2 million and I go buy a $3 million property. And I, I'll never have to pay taxes on the, the on the gains of that property as long as I continue to reinvest it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's how you make it's, it's you know oversimplified version, but that's how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, I you know, I only had those couple articles pulled up, but I will say that on the sidebar of one of these articles, a fantastic headline caught my caught my eye and I just I need to get this one in. Special ops troops hunkered down in California airport hangar after nighttime ninja attack. What? Yes, absolutely. Are you reading duffel blog or? No, 100% <laughs> on military.com. A sword wielding man dressed as a ninja attacks several special operations soldiers who were training at a California airport, reportedly forcing them to shelter in a hangar and inflicting wounds that require stitches. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I swear to God. How does so this happened. Happen? This happened in the Mojave Desert, about 100 miles north of Los Angeles, around 1 a.m. on September 18th. Um, oh, let me get down here in the article. So uh, it, it's unclear from the records whether the man was an actual practitioner of ninjutsu. First off, it says in the article, <laughs> "Don't want to give ninjas a bad name here." <laughs> this, this, is, this is crazy. So uh, a staff sergeant is on guard, uh, you know, at the front gate. An individual dressed in full ninja garb walks up and says, "Do you know who I am?" To which the soldier replied, no. Do you know where my family is? The black clad man then asked. The staff sergeant again answered, no. The, nin uh, the person in the ninja guard began to slash the soldier, striking his phone, his knee, and his leg. So that is where the stitches come in. Uh, the, the staff sergeant then uh, took off running in the opposite direction. He hopped a fence and got himself into an admin building where apparently there was a captain 
at, at which point 911 was uh, was called. The individual started punching and kicking at the doors, punching at windows. He found a large piece of asphalt through that through one of the windows. It struck the captain in the in the back. Uh, I'm assuming he also uh, was injured. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I, <laughs> man, why can't that stuff happen? Why couldn't this have happened to me? You know, the, the I'm out on an operation out of Twenty Nine Palms, and here comes this goofy son of a gun dressed in ninja guard in the middle oh, of nowhere. Yeah, me and this boy are gonna go a couple rounds. <laughs> right? Oh man! So the the first thing that comes to mind is is why is this guy not dead right now? Um, <laughs> yeah, because that's, I'm like. Every operation, every training operation we ever did, especially if we had weapons there, we yeah. had people with bullets. And, yeah. and and if you had a guard, if I'm assuming if this person was guarding the the operational area, yeah. this dude may have been armed. Maybe not, but we were always armed everywhere I went. I was guarding an airfield in Australia and we had rounds in our, our weapons because they were aircraft on the on the, on the field. I don't know. The, it's it, middle of the night though, so maybe he was the guy that got in trouble and had to pull like the nighttime guard shift, but like they weren't confident enough in giving him rounds. Here's a weapon, but we're not going to give you bullets for it because we don't go to the AHA to get that stuff either. Yeah, right. we don't trust you with it, but you got yeah, guard so duty just, tonight. Yeah, we're yell, in the Mojave Desert. For, What's going to happen? Yell for help if you need help. <laughs> right. Well, they, so they, uh, what was, it was the other guys? They gave him a wooden pistol and a rape whistle. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this has to be like it's it's some it's some uh, it's some Lance Corporal. It's some you know some E three who's who's fed up right now, and he's like, I'm going to go mess with these guys, and they're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. yeah. I will say, uh, you know, what made me really start to to, to laugh at that is uh, the polypropylene, the, the long underwear we were given in the Marine Corps. Uh, I also, out on town, I bought a hood. So it literally just, it looked like a whole ninja outfit. <laughs> and there would be this thing where, you know, if we were doing some, some wintertime uh, training exercises, that first night out in the field, especially for all the new guys that had never seen this before, I'd slide out of the tent and I'd change into my polypropylene ninja outfit and I'd come bursting in and you know karate chopping people and I didn't have a sword you know I wasn't yeah. that cool but yeah I mean yeah I'm sure they had them for sale at the PX yeah like wow we, the, I, I the can't clothes... imagine being on a training exercise and some ninja starts swinging I... I, so Tam I think you were we did we did, a, we did some training out we were op for in the jungle in Japan for somebody's operation and we built ghillie suits yeah. and yeah homemade ghillie these suits. These guys knew that there was going to be op for, but they they had no idea that it was yeah, going to be how serious we were going to take. Yeah, this. like <laughs> I think they were like admin guys doing a field yeah. op, so like they just weren't ready for you know yeah. we were we were combat engineers. A lot of us had deployed with like infantry yep. units, mm -hmm. and we'd had all this experience behind yeah. us. And so here we are in our homemade ghillie suits, like shredded burlap and stuff like that. And I walked up to a dude in the jungle, or in a fighting position, like a machine gun hole, and he's staring right at me, and I'm walking right toward him. I'm not kidding. I'm 10 feet away and he doesn't see me yeah. like i'm all painted up and i'm just kind of like walking real slow i made it into his hole and i was like you guys are dead and, and it, <laughs> it, it terrified them yeah. you guys are dead don't even pull the trick don't yeah. say anything you're dead yeah, yeah. I, I i had to have terrified these guys They're, they were they i don't think they were expecting it and they were probably like send me back to my office you know yeah yeah <laughs> Stop it! You're not gonna get your paycheck. Right. Okay. All right. No, you're right. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'll go. <laughs> good job, guys. Yeah. Very well done. Very well keep done. up the keep up the good work. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I, I really wasn't planning on another news article, but uh, off of the Black Hawk, uh, 
article that that little headline caught my eye and i thought man i have to look at this and see what exactly happened because i just know yeah. i just know if if a ninja air quotes here was trying to attack us during a, a an operation it would have been a, a whole lot of fun do you do you do you think that there's like a council of of actual like ninja practitioners who are reading this story somewhere they're like uh who is this, uh, <laughs> who, is this? <laughs> who has who has brought great shame upon the ninjutsu practitioners they have tarnished our reputation. Yeah. You know, you yeah. talk about ninjutsu, and it keeps making me think of the little Lego show that my kid watches. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. The Lego ninjas. Nin- Ninjago or something? Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yes. That's that's what this was. There, there's a council of elders somewhere in, I don't know, it, you know, wherever they are. We're, we're assembling the council. Yes. Which, which among you was it? Yes. <laughs> Who who attacks U.S. troops in middle of night? Right, right. and it's the it's the private pile version of yeah. the ninjas. It's yeah. like the guy in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Two private piles meet. Yeah, they're, they're like actually that's why we didn't give him a real sword. We gave yeah. him this old rusty sword, but it's, it turns out now that the guy he slashed has stitches and tetanus. Tetanus, yeah. Tetanus, yeah. That's that's how he defeats his enemy. Yeah. It's a long, slow battle yeah. with lock. You will get tetanus. Mm. <laughs> is it, uh, does anybody else here wonder if they bought the uh, ninja sword at the PX? So because like every PX I've seen like has like these like yeah. ninja swords and everything else, or at least a store that sells them or something yeah. in there. Yeah. And I'm always like, who buys this stuff? Right. But apparently yeah. people do because like yeah. they've got it in like every PX. Yeah. So I, I wonder if he swung, he swung the sword at him and it hit him. And then the, the staff sergeant's like, wow, that, that really hurt. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> Don't do that again. Stop. Yeah. To, <laughs> Stop. to the staff, to the staff sergeant's defense, I will say the last thing you're expecting while you're on guard is somebody to come in and start striking you with a sword. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, if, and then he you got to ride up like, on a horse, you right. know, <laughs> I didn't hear fixed bayonets. Like the one, a guy playing coconuts behind him, you know yeah, what I mean? Making yeah. a horse sound. <laughs> he's got his friend there and he's dressed like a British red coat. Yes. You know, and, and, then, and then there's like a pirate behind him. It's like this whole cast of characters. <laughs> a, like a weird YMCA. Video show like, it's a new character. Uh, okay. Halloween's at the end of the month. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's like, actually, that was your birthday stripper. And uh, it was your birthday and you just forgot while you were on duty. We were surprising. Surprise. Yes. Surprise. Oh, guys, you should tell me before this stuff happens. Oh, he seemed pretty mad and he hit me with the sword. Uh, that's great. All I needed to do was give him a couple of dollars. Yeah, yeah that's... uh. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah, just be careful out there, everybody. Uh, watch out for ninjas. They have Tip swords. them if you see them. Yep. T- tip right. the ninja. Yeah, next time you see a ninja, tip them. Yeah. Be real you nice. Know, anybody with a sharp object. Right. right. And next time they, next time I go to Hibachi, I'll just start throwing dollars. At the <laughs> you never know. You never know you who know. it was. I mean, he's right. got he's got sharp things and he's spinning and flipping. You know, he's I don't skills. want one of those. Yeah. I don't want one of those to hit me. Here's a couple right. of bucks right off the top. I trust you. Right. <laughs> That's right. So uh, Brian, we didn't really get into too much about you today, but congratulations on the new job. Thank uh, you. You know, as timing goes, like Matt said, you picked a heck of a time to to get into that cycle yeah. of transitioning into a new role. So um, I agree. You know, I'm glad to hear that you've, you've found a spot you feel happy with, and I hope you continue to grow in that role. And uh, we'll have to have you back on and, and not talk about, you know, five news articles. We'll actually get into you a little bit. more. No, that's fine. That's fine, man. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Maybe we'll find another uh, Ninja article. Who knows? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, next time I come up with a nice Ninja article. Yes. We're gonna, hey, we got to reach out to Brian. We're going to save this one until we can get yep. him on. 
So, yep. but, uh, you know, for, you know, for everybody out there listening and checking us out, we appreciate you very much. Uh, give us a like a rating review. Um, as a matter of fact, you can now listen to the podcast live on YouTube and not only live, you can go back and listen to old episodes as well. I put the podcast up on our YouTube page. You can check that out. You can check us out on all the other major social media platforms, as well as all the podcast platforms. Uh, like I said earlier, like, rate, subscribe, you know, tell a friend, tell a relative, share the show with them. We would appreciate that greatly. And until next time, we'll be right back here on Beyond the Wire.